Hello and welcome to the LGBTQ STEMcast. In today's episode, we'll be talking with PhD student Michael Mayer. Join us as we discuss academia, science, and Russia. Remember to follow us on social media, join our Patreon, and our Discord server. Thank you. How are you doing today, Michael? Doing well. How are you, Felix? Well, uh, it's been crazy, you know, this whole quarantine situation in Puerto Rico is still very stressful. Um, life in general, online classes, it's all been crazy, but we're getting through it. Yes, how's we are. How's quarantine been treating you? Um, not too bad. Fortunately, I'm in a position where I can work from home mostly, and uh, it's been quite accommodating. So, um, yeah, it's, you know, it, I could definitely be worse. Um, but trying to make the most of whatever this year's throwing at us. That's good. Thankfully, the year's almost over. Hopefully, next year will be <laughs> way better. <laughs> we can keep hoping, man. <laughs> I, I'm at this point, that's like the only thing that motivates me to keep going. I'm like, next year will be my year. Let's go. And then I, <laughs> then I remember that I said the same thing last November about this year. So, yeah, that didn't play out well for me. But can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, yeah, so my name is Michael Meyer. I'm a student here at Washington State University um, in environmental and natural resource science. And the way that I got here is kind of a twisted winding road <laughs> um, to say the least. Um, but ultimately as of right now, I mean, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about that, but um, at least right now, I would define myself as an aquatic ecologist or more broadly as a limnologist. Um, limnology just being the study of inland waters. Um, but more specifically, it's, it's thinking about physics, the chemistry, the biology of water and um, inland waters all at the same time. Um, but the way that I got here was, so let me think, um, the way that I can, the, the, the starting point that I can think of is, um, so when I was in high school, I took Russian for four years. And my high school had a study abroad. And um, I was able to go to Russia for a summer. And then when I went to college, I knew I wanted to do biology or pre-med. And, but I also really liked Russian. And so I was like, okay, well, luckily I was able to work it out where I could get a double major in biology and Russian. Um, but then I was like, wow, I wish that I could like pair these together. Um, so eventually it worked out where um, I found an internship one summer as part of my undergraduate degree in biology, I had to do a conservation internship. And so for Three months, I worked with um, an NGO in California at Lake Tahoe, um, and then moved on to Mongolia, spent some time in Mongolia, and then spent some time in Russia working with the Russian Forest Service in Siberia at Lake Baikal. Um, and then, like, it kind of worked out really well because I felt like I was using both these language skills and my science skills. Um, and then one thing led to another, where the next summer I ended up getting um, a Department of Education grant to go to Moscow State University to um, do um, protein imaging. Um, then I also got another grant um, to go to um, 
Siberia again at Yokosuka University to do, um, it's, it was basically looking at protein responses in invertebrates at Lake Baikal um, do, in response to uh, in changing temperatures. And then after that, so when I was graduating, it was my senior year, and I was able to get a Fulbright Fellowship um, that sponsored me to go back to Irkutsk State University for a year um, and finish out a lot of the protein research that we were doing. Um, and then one thing led to another. You know, I, at that time, I think I had spent three or four years of my life studying Lake Baikal, and I'm like, you know, I know there's so many more questions. And so um, I was wanted to move back to the US because all of my family's here. And um, I found I managed to find a PhD program at Washington State University with an advisor who had worked a lot at Lake Baikal. And we were wondering about how to expand and what types of questions we might be looking for. So that's really how I ended up in Pullman, Washington. <laughs> um, and while I'm here, I, during my PhD, so I'm in my sixth year of my PhD work, and I, it's been awesome. Um, luckily, I'm in an environment where I get a lot of free reign, <laughs> uh, for better or for worse. But I, the thing that I love the most about graduate school and about research in general is how you're really building different skill sets and learning how to transfer those skill sets to other questions. Um, so for example, and and for and I, once again, I just want to reiterate, I'm very lucky to be in a position where, with an advisor who just encourages me to, um, <laughs> to uh, tackle any questions that I can try to do, <laughs> um, for better or for worse. But um, so for example, we, in my time of graduate school, we've worked on um, um, understanding how zooplankton change or actually don't change um, predation preferences with temperature um, from Lake Baikal. We've, I worked, my primary research looks at um, the influences of low level sewage pollution on near shore communities in lakes um, where we use pharmaceuticals and personal care products from sewage as a tracer of the sewage. <clears throat> and then we relate that to community composition. And then we try to get some idea, idea about food web um, structure, structural changes, but also um, how the nutrition within the food web is changing. So we look, we use a lot of fatty acid analysis techniques. Um, that, so that's like my bread and butter, but I also do a lot. I've also had a, had a fair amount of experience doing text analysis. So like looking at word uh, associations and co-occurrences to identify trends in publications. So one of my projects that was published last year looked at um, pharmaceuticals, sewage treatment techniques, and ecosystem types in which we with which we study PPC or pharmaceuticals and personal care products, PPCPs. Um, and what it identified is that you know over the past 30 years we've been studying pharmaceuticals and how they influence um, ecosystems, but most of our understanding tends to be concentrated on antibiotics and non-prescription drugs. Um, whereas a fraction of the total literature actually focuses on things like hormones or um, which in hormones pretty prevalent, like 80% of your environmental samples will likely have hormones in it, 
yet in the literature they constitute about um, 20% of studies. Um, similarly, you know, most of most of the literature focuses on um, centralized forms of wastewater treatment, whereas 2% of the literature tends to focus on septic systems. And that's kind of important because like more than half the world is on a septic system. Um, and then the other things with ecosystem types is most of our knowledge is based in rivers. Um, very little is based in, in lakes and, and oceans, which, you know, oceans, most of the world's population lives along a coastline and um, lakes because, you know, they hold on to water, they temporarily integrate water, right? Um, these are systems where pharmaceuticals can accumulate. Uh, sorry, I went on about that a little bit longer <laughs> than I intended to. No, don't worry. It's all interesting. I get, I get, I get into all the different sciences. Love it. I can tell that you're actually very passionate about it. I love that. Oh, uh, thank you, thank you, Felix. Yeah. Um. So there's that. I do text analysis stuff. Um. I do. I, we have a fair amount of remote sensing. We have some remote sensing projects that we do as well. Um. We recently published a data set. Actually, this year it was in June of this year. Um, it was accepted in scientific data for the, da the, the, the publication and the data sets publicly available for free on environmental data initiative. Um, and basically what we did was we used um, Landsat, so satellite data, um, it's a derived product of Landsat, to measure um, seasonal and permanent surface water area for 1.42 million lakes globally. And we did that annually. So um, if you can imagine an Excel file, like I think we're all familiar with Excel. So imagine like uh, an Excel file with 30 million rows. And um, for each year and lake, we also calculated the air temperature, the precipitation, the number of people living within each basin. Um, and we did this all using Google's servers, as well as our own high performance computers here. Um, but the takeaway is, is that one of the things that I'm really passionate about that my collaborators and my colleagues are really passionate about is <clears throat> how do we make science more accessible to others? Not even, not necessarily even like to the general public. Well, that's definitely the thing. Anybody, you know, listening can go to the Environmental Data Initiative and download our data, no account registrations, no paywalls. Um, but you know, we live in a time where there's never been more data to assess questions about surface water or freshwater availability. Um, however, working with those data is really, really complicated <laughs> sometimes. You know, they exist in a really complicated file for, you know, at least for most aquatic researchers, a complicated file structure or your computer isn't strong enough or some, something like that. Um, so what we did was, is we combined all these publicly available data sets into a single uniform format such that most people, you know, are familiar with this type of the way that the data are structured. And then we published all of our code. So like Felix, one day, if you're interested, you know, in working with the data set and you say, I wish Michael included um, land use land cover or wind speed or something like that. The codes are all available with tutorials and you can download the wind data from NASA and you can have annual or hourly even wind data for each of the lakes. Um, That's all amazing. It's 
it sounds like such a different <laughs> scenario and like data experience that what I'm really used to, particularly in Puerto Rico, since I don't think um at least my institution isn't like very research focused and like it's even less focused in research when it comes to like environmental sciences, particularly my institution focuses more on like um, pre-med and like biomedical mm -hmm. research. So it's also it's always a, an experience to hear about different, all these kinds of different research that people do. And I love it. It's crazy to me. <laughs> I'll definitely be able to link to link that in the description of the episode, just in case anybody wants to check it sure, out. Yeah. And I can send along, um, most of the most of the papers that I talked about are all open access, um, and all of the code is published. So, like I said, with the text analysis stuff, um, if folks listening want to adapt that code to their own analysis, um, you're more than or the the tutorials are all there, and um, I'll definitely take feedback if folks uh, find something that could be more clear or better. That'd be great. Thank you so much. So did you ever consider any other like fields? Because I know you mentioned the Russian and you know your the love for biology, but did you ever consider any other like STEM related fields? Um not really, to be honest. Um mostly, you know, there was a time when I was uh I, I thought I was gonna be a doctor, like a medical doctor. <laughs> um why did i why did i know you were gonna say that yeah. like, it's so common now and that during these interviews i've had so many that said the same thing and even i went through that like i got into biology because i was going to be a doctor but look at me now yeah. um i think it's more i think it's a lot about the social pressure about having th those kind of titles if that makes sense that's what i think that i wanted at the mm -hmm. time now i really don't feel like that would be a good career choice for me, oh, yeah. but we'll see. We'll see how life goes. No, I, I get that. Um, yeah, definitely the societal, societal pressures. Um, I definitely understand that. <laughs> um, but like, I also, you know, part of me also wonders if a lot of folks go towards the medis medicine because like that's, you know, um, that's really like the science practitioner, I guess you could say that you interact with most frequently right where like it's not like many of us interact with like nuclear physicists or like um an aquatic ecologist or something like that right but all of us interact with a doctor at some point or hopefully all of us interact with a doctor <laughs> at least one point in time um so yeah i just wonder how much of that is out of just associating with 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 doctors more frequently yeah i think uh, and it's also very um, prevalent in like, I guess, um, non-represented like minorities, because as a Hispanic, that's basically what my mom imagined me when I told her I was going to go into science. That's the only thing some communities are always able to see about science, if that makes any mm -hmm. sense. So I think that's also the kind of pressure that people get because they're like, I like science. So basically the the default option is to be a doctor and that's really not the case at all there's so many different fields that people could go into but a lot of the times people don't even know until they go to college like myself i didn't know about a lot of things until i got into my undergrad mm -hmm. so do you plan on staying in academia or what are your plans for the future um i'm open to to different career choices you know i think coming in to graduate or definitely coming into graduate programs um academia was the goal 
and and once again i think it's really just because of what i've inter what i had interacted with you know um you're used to interacting with scientists and people who do the kind of research you think is cool right at a university um however there's also a bunch of awesome scientists um working at government institutions like usgs epa NOAA, nasa um and, and some of them are really sweet gigs too um a lot, a lot of them are really sweet gigs <laughs> and also private sector and um ngos you know they're you know it might be a little more focused than you know it's definitely a trade-off right where academia you tend to have more freedom um and in what you want to research and those the the research questions might be more focused and narrowed in definitely in private sector likely in government um research but um i think that's an one once again you know i think that's an awesome thing about going to graduate school where you learn that so many jobs exist that you didn't even knew know existed <laughs> um yeah how about yourself felix um right now i'm so confused about what i'm doing with my life but that's a that's a crazy story because i recently changed majors because i do enjoy ecology a lot but uh, let's just say that in my mind it's a career that didn't give me the stability and the peace of mind that i needed if that makes any sense and i'm kind of self-discovering what i really like i've recently um like found out that i'm really into coding i didn't think i was going to enjoy coding as much as i do um i've also i love biology so i'm trying to figure a way to combine those two so probably my goal right now is to actually discover what i want but very much thinking of something in the like computer science slash bioinformatics mm -hmm. area but we'll definitely see i mean i'm just in my second year of undergrad so it's like i have not that much left for my undergrad you know, so I kind of have to make a decision now, basically next semester, but I'm definitely almost sure that I'm going to do a computer science mm -hmm. route and then specializing in bioinformatics. Yeah, and like, you know, yeah, you're right, because it really wasn't my, so how do I say that? Um, when I, for my first introduction to coding, right, like we had a few um, courses in high school, you know, that were very, very, very low level. But then, you know, it, it, I, I'm a firm believer, right, that in the number, it's, it's not like how quickly you pick it up, it's the number of times you've seen something. Um, and, and, you know, when I went to college, in my intro to ecology, as well as um, I took a graduate level biometrics course, and that was really like my first like going into the deep end coding um and and especially with uh statistical analyses that like you know i think i kind of knew at the time or i had a better grasp but um but i've only come to appreciate more and more the depth and then you enter graduate school and you're like oh my gosh there's so much i don't know um and especially and and this is all going towards um you know the environmental sciences there's a lot of fields that definitely are computationally intensive and the environmental sciences is, is really embracing you know over the past what 25 ish years um 30 years and it's really a cool time to be 
um, a computationally savvy person in some of these fields, uh, much like you know ecology or, or environmental sciences. Um, like I said, you know the remote sensing stuff, and once you get the feel for it, um, like I said, it's those skills that you can transfer to other projects. Um, like for example, um, sorry, sorry to go back about this, but um, <laughs> like possibly the most like unrelated project I've ever had was um, this, my, I took a, a multivariate stats class here at, in grad school and we had to do an independent project. And so I, I was kind of just like sick of my own research. And so my buddy compiled a data set of snake venom protein compositions and whether or not those venoms were associated with antibiotic efficacy. Um, and he's like, okay, so I have these data. I have no idea how to build the models to predict if I, uh, whether or not a venom will be associated with antibiotic efficacy. Um, and I'm like, oh, I have an independent project. We can do this. And it ended up being this really awesome collaboration between get this my so I'm in grad so so I was in grad I was in my third year of grad school I think um, it was my TA he was my former TA from my third year of undergrad and we've just be become good friends and stayed in contact and so um, I ended up making his data analytics um, part of my uh, class and then it led to a publication where we're like hey you know, we built the models. So if you have a snake venom protein composition and, you know, it falls within certain families of, yeah, these certain uh, snake families, the models do a pretty good job predicting whether or not it's gonna be effective or not effective as an antibiotic. <laughs> um, but the key is it's like you learn all these skills. And then I think part of it is also learning how to transfer those skills um, to things that you, I mean, not once, Felix, did I ever think I would be doing a project, let alone publishing a paper, um, a peer-reviewed paper on snake venom proteomes. But um, lo and behold, here we are. <laughs> the world is crazy to me, like how we, we're constantly learning about different things and I relate so much about to, to that because when I got into undergrad, as I mentioned, I was really into like, oh, I'm going to be a doctor, you know. Never did I ever think I was going to be doing field work looking for orchids, which was my first field work experience. We were looking for some orchids. I never mm -hmm. envisioned myself doing that kind of field work before, but I just loved it, you know, and it's crazy how we learn so much ourselves during like those undergraduate years. Well, yeah, and it's like, but you're put through so much pressure during those years, <laughs> you know? <laughs> oh, yeah, it's true. I'm always, like, yeah, I definitely get it. I'm always very, like, stressed at this point. And I also feel like I always have to step up everybody that I, like, every fellow undergrad, I feel like I have to step them up in a way. Like, I have to be like, oh, you're doing two projects? Well, I'm doing five. Anyway, oh, my gosh. It's not a competition. <laughs> I, yeah, it's it's easy to say because I definitely see but when when like you think about that you're going to be competing for the same jobs and that's what, what kind of also drew me away from ecology mm -hmm. in, in a way 
from the actual field because when I was seeing when I was applying to internships, everybody was applying to the same internship. I was like, okay, we cannot, we we all can't get the same one. You know what I mean? So that kind of like stress kind of threw me off and anxiety and not having like a set plan in a way and like not being like, oh, I can do this like. Let's just say if I got over like an engineering degree, then I'm gonna be an engineer. If I got over a nursing degree, mm-hmm. you know, like you have a specific path in some careers, but biology is not one of those paths. You know what I mean? You don't have a predetermined path. Oh boy, howdy! Do I know what you mean? <laughs> yeah, it's it's crazy, and it kind of made me think about my life choices in a way. But I'm constantly learning now. I'm going. I'm like just going with the flow at this point. Mm-hmm. So, um, how has being an LGBTQ scientist affected you and your career as a researcher? Um, sorry, I meant I, I you sent me questions in advance, and uh, I w- this was one that I was clicking through, um, because like you know I'll, I'll be real, um, there are some things, but I, I I'm very much aware that you know I. I I come with a lot of privilege, right? I'm white, I am cisgendered, I am male, I'm from a good socioeconomic standing. um, And I try to keep that in perspective. Um, Where I, yes, a member of the LGBT community, but um, I have benefited from a lot of privilege. Um, But, you know, there, there, and like as a result, you know, obviously I have a different experience from everyone else, right? And um, we all have our own experiences. The only real thing that I can, the, the big one that sticks out in my mind um, was I remember when I was, and I'll, I'll do my best, I need to do my best to anonymize this. <laughs> um, when, when I was pre-med and, you know, you had um, advisors, right, for pre-health and the pre-health track. Mm-hmm. And I, I distinctly remember the advisor, like in a one-on-one meeting, just being like, so Michael, um, medicine is a conservative field and medicine in the Midwest is even more conservative. <laughs> and I just want you to keep that in mind moving forward. And like, at the time, you know, like I took it as like a mental note, you know, like, okay, this is the job, this is what you want to do, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, you got, you got to play by the rules. And, and over time, then I went through like the phase, you know, like a few years down the road when I was like replaying that conversation, I was like, because it had affected me, right? Like I knew you know, like, even when I was out of pre-med and I wanted to go to biology or for graduate school, I was still like, okay, remember, um, be more, you know, don't talk about being a member of the LGBT community, don't say that, um, it's only going to hold you back, or people are only going to associate with you that, that with you, and not see the professional behind you, right? Um, that was really my big concern. Um, and then I went, like, like I said, then a few years down the road, I went through like the angry phase, like, oh, this person like kept me down and made me think too much about myself and blah, 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 blah. Um, and like now, you know, now that I'm 
an, a wise old 28 year old man. Um, <laughs> um, you know, my good years are behind me. Um, I'm kind of like, you know, if I, I hate to say this, like, I, I sound like that person where if I'm going to contextualize from this person's perspective as their as an advisor, you know, like me being angry and saying like, oh, you know, this person was trying to control how I act or whatever, um, or how I thought about myself. You know, I can choose to think that. Um, or I can choose to think, you know, this person's job is, you know, from their perspective, is they're trying to get me into as many possible positions as I can, right? To have my pick of the litter. Um, and if they see that as the way to get me there, like it's out of a place of caring, right? Um, I can choose to think that. And it's a much more, I think it's a much more positive way of looking at things that this person cared so much about me and my career that they, you know, at least warned me in advance. Um, I'd rather live in that world. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's, that's really like the one event that really sticks in my mind. Yeah, I think we've all had experiences like that. I think I've talked in a few episodes about the one potential advice that I had for an undergraduate project who basically said that being queer was unprofessional in a way, mm -hmm. basically. And it was a whole thing that got me very nervous about being mm -hmm. in STEM. So I like it's always still in my mind when I meet somebody like even in the podcast situation, like I'm meeting queer people for this podcast, and even then I get nervous to talk about queer stuff, you know? Like sometimes I'm like, do I really want to tweet something about drag race on my <laughs> personal on my professional Twitter account? So, like random stuff like that that shouldn't really worry me. And they end up doing it, like they end up worrying me because of what somebody said in the past. Maybe they didn't mean it in a bad way. I really don't know what went through their head. But it kind of did affect me, but I'm constantly learning and trying to better myself. So, right. Yeah. And, and I mean, just to be clear, you know, like I'm only saying, you know, that <laughs> I'm only saying that uh, because I have the gift of hindsight, right? You know, and, um, and it, like I said, it is a choice of how you're going to think, you know, you can be like, okay, you know, like, hey, this, like, I'll be real for me personally, Felix, like it, it, did that interaction did change how I think how, or how I was how I thought about things um, how I viewed myself but you know it, here I am it's taken me a few years to get here but you know if 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 putting it in a positive like I said it's a choice like how are, how do you want to view the situation in hindsight recognizing that you know um, that you're a stronger better person right yeah, definitely get it. I I always sort of think that I'll be able to learn new things, and when you learn new things, you view past situations differently, and that's what I'm very excited about for like in life. Yeah. But do you have any advice for young LGBTQ scientists that might be having similar situations? Yeah. Um. It's a ball drink, you know. This is <laughs> um, 
yeah, once again, this was one of those questions that I was just clicking through, like, and I think the biggest thing that I can say is like, I think, I do think the world is different today. You know, probably like you realize this yourself, right? Like today in 2020, the world is a very different place than when it was in 2011 for me. Um, and, and I think, I think one of the biggest things is like, yeah, it's going to get tough. And sometimes it might feel a little lonely, like, you know, sorry, this is like Michael's tough love moment. Sorry, Felix. Don't <laughs> <laughs> no worry. Um, it's good to hear different yeah. perspectives all the this, time. That's amazing. You know, my, my, my big thing is I'm going to say it's going to get tough. It, there might be moments when you're lonely. I get it. Um, but the most important thing, I think there's two, two important things that I can say. Number one, make sure that you have a supportive um, environment. Um, or, and when I, or a supportive group of friends, right, or confidants. Um, that has really been invaluable over the past few years. And, and that circle may change, right? Like um, the first person I, first people I came out to are my best, some of my best friends from high school. Um, and they are still my confidants, but like I recognize we are also on different uh, paths, right? Um, they're not, it, uh, one of them is now a chiropractor, one of them is now, um, he does HR stuff. So I have another circle that I vent with about um, uh, graduate school and I have another circle that I vent with about family and whatever. Um, so have that supportive network. And, and then the other thing, which uh, uh, hopefully not a controversial opinion, <laughs> um, but the tough love, right? Like, you're gonna, and I, I think all of us, like you said, will encounter some um, challenges, we'll say, you know, um, with, yeah. in some way, or way, shape, or form, right? Some of us, we will all encounter, um, some of us will experience more bigoted and like in your face stuff. Some of us will um, maybe more subtle stuff, right? Um, but I think as long as that's not a toxic environment and that you know you rely upon your support network and that it doesn't it doesn't consume you like I think for myself I'm totally projecting my own experiences so um, hopefully hopefully I'm not speaking out of turn um, those are the moments oh. where I've experienced the most personal growth right because like those are the moments where I've had to think through myself and fight back and be like, no, like this part, you know, like I have experienced the whole like, you know, less people maybe not taking you as seriously um, in a professional sense, um, you know, because it's, it's I, I'll be real, you know, when, when I was a kid, um, L, you know, on television, you know, even today to some extent, like LGBT people weren't really portrayed in academic or scientific careers in the media, right? on the media, I mean, like, sitcoms, right? Like, you know, we're, Will and Grace was big. Yeah. Um, but, um, and so I, I have experienced from time to time, you know, being taken less seriously. And those have been my great, that they, like, I, I have a common say, saying it fuels my hate fire. Uh, or it gives me that fire in the belly. Um, to fight back and be like, no, I'm going to show you. 
Um, whether or not these people actually meant it, right? That's a different story. Um, but I, I will say that some of my greatest personal growth has come from those moments. Um, and I don't think there's something necessarily to shy away from, but the big caveat is as long as people are in, not in a toxic environment and you know that they have a support network. Hopefully that's a fair statement. Definitely, I completely agree because I always say as well that even if it's a negative situation, it always helps us grow as a person. And those are the experiences and advice we can pass on forward in the future, you know, because right. I want to change the world in a positive way for everybody else. So that's why I'm always constantly sharing about my experiences and what I think I could have done differently or what how did I react to that? And it also helps me as a person grow. So I completely agree with that. So now let's talk about some of your favorite oh, things. Oh boy. What's your favorite part about being in STEM? My favorite part about it. So um, this might be cheesy, but my favorite part about being in STEM, oh, there's two things. Okay, number one is it's kind of cool being like, I'm solving problems that no, no one's really solved before. Or like, putting ideas together that I don't think others have put together. Um, and that might seem kind of lofty. That makes me sound like really lofty. Um, but it's kind of cool to be like, oh my gosh, I'm, you know, sitting here, I'm working with data no one has worked with before, or I, uh, or in a way no one's worked with those data. Um, and just thinking about them differently. And, and there's no greater feeling than like seeing, um, one of your products, you know, whatever the product is, um, come out and see your name on it. And that's, that's one of my favorite parts. Um, my second favorite part is it's honestly the community. Um, you know, because as much as we all strive to have this work-life balance, um, I haven't, I, I try really hard. I fail a lot of the times <laughs> to have work-life balance. Um, you know, some, most if not all of my collaborators, I also consider really, really, really close friends. Um, and from all over the world, right? You know, yes, I've lived in Russia for many years, um, lived in Mongolia for since. Um, but yeah, you know, you go to a conference and there's people from Europe and Asia, Australia, you know, all the continents are there. Um, and it's so cool to be a part of that community. Um, yeah, and just geeking out together. That, yeah, that's one of my favorite parts because everybody is in science is technically a geek in a way or another. So that's also like cool in my opinion when I first started to get into like science Twitter in general and like seeing all these cool people that also do science. So it's one of my favorite parts as well. Speaking about different places and living in different places, what's your favorite place you've traveled to? <laughs> um, okay, so living, so I, when I was at Moscow State University, I think that was, that was, that was pretty cool. Moscow is a pretty dope place, to be honest, because um, you've got, like, a pretty cool, like, subculture um, or when I say subculture like there's this like weird hipster culture that you would not expect there <laughs> um, and yeah yeah so that and 
that that and the other thing is um this might be a pretty bougie thing i hate driving um like i hate i live in an area where i have to drive everywhere and everything is far away and um so basically any place with a subway system is um gonna be on the top of my list yeah i honestly hate driving i don't know if i think i talked about it in my in my previous episode of the podcast i hate driving i cannot stand it and living in puerto rico i technically have to drive everywhere there's no public transportation here at all so it's crazy but i can relate to that is there anything else you would like to share with us today um no, I think we've we covered all the bases, you know. Um, oh, well, I guess like, yeah, if, if folks do want to reach out to me, and I guess this will be in the episode somewhere, I um, I try to be pretty active on Twitter. Um, I tweet, all, speaking of programming, I tweet a lot about statistics and coding. Um, so if that's something you're interested in, I always tweet about that. And I try to tweet a lot about um, freshwater sciences, limnology. So, um, yeah, feel free to follow me on Twitter, or if you have any questions, feel free to reach out. I'll definitely be sure to link your profile on the on our Twitter page when we post the promo, and as well as at the description of the episode. Cool. It was great to have you here. Um, I really enjoyed this conversation. Oh, nice. I, I it was really fun, Felix. Thanks, thanks for um, thanks for organizing this and um, making this podcast happen. You know, well. So. You're welcome, and thank, uh, thank you to everybody and uh, that filled out the form, like people like you that were able to and willing to share their stories. We really do appreciate it. This project would not be possible without it. Ah, no problem. No problem. It's the least I can do. <laughs> well, I hope you have a good day. Thanks. You as well. Have a good one, Felix.